Okay, before we get started with today's episode, have you heard the awesome news? Llama Life now has an iOS app so you can take it with you wherever you go. I have been using Llama Life consistently on my computer for a year now. A year! That's unprecedented. That's like a lifetime in ADHD terms. And now with the new iOS app, I'm able to seamlessly transition between my computer and my iPhone so that my favorite little productivity coach is with me whenever I need it. So what is so special about Llama Life? Well, for starters, it's not a fancy new calendar or planner or complicated productivity management system. It's a time-boxing, single-tasking program that easily integrates with your already existing organizational systems. If you're like me and you struggle with time blindness or maintaining focus throughout your day, then this is the app for you. I love Llama Life because it's simple, effective, and beautifully designed. And dare I say, it makes even the most mundane chore more fun and colorful. If you want to check out the iOS app for yourself, head to the App Store for a free trial and start enjoying that Llama Life for yourself. Once I got my diagnosis and I realized that there was an explanation for some of my behaviors, for some of the things that I do, the anxiety and depression that I felt like I was feeling has decreased exponentially. Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 45, and it completely turned my world upside down. I've been looking back at so much of my life, school, jobs, my relationships, all of it with this new lens, and it has been nothing short of overwhelming. I quickly discovered I was not the only woman to have this experience, and now I interview other women who, like me, discovered in adulthood they have ADHD and are finally feeling like they understand who they are and how to best lean into their strengths, both professionally and personally. Okay, here we are at episode 132 in which I interview Vanessa Tori. Vanessa is a writer, speaker, and coach living her best life in Phoenix, Arizona. About a year ago at the age of 48, Vanessa quit her 20-plus year corporate career to pursue her creative passions full-time. She sold her house in the suburbs, moved to an apartment downtown, and turned her writing and editing side hustle into a full-time business. It was shortly after that major transition that she was diagnosed with ADHD, and she now helps other women, particularly those late diagnosed with ADHD, who feel stuck in midlife to navigate this amazing time of growth and exploration to make huge changes that lead to a more creative and fulfilling life led with intention. Vanessa and I chat about unmasking and self-acceptance after a late diagnosis, and we share our theories as to why so many women are diagnosed during perimenopause. We also talk about the stages of a late ADHD diagnosis, including denial, curiosity, elation, grief, resentment, grit, and advocacy work. And Vanessa shares what it's been like to date for the first time as an unmasked woman. Okay, here is my interview with Vanessa. Enjoy. Hi, Vanessa. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, why don't we get started with your ADHD diagnosis? You were 48, correct? I was. And so how long ago was that? And what was happening in your life that led you to start connecting the dots and think this could be ADHD? Yeah, so that was actually, um, it will be five months tomorrow that I got my diagnosis. So this is still pretty fresh with me. Um, and I'll tell you that there has always been some things in my life that 
I did that I just couldn't really explain. I didn't know why I did them. I didn't feel like I could help them. It was sort of like it, it bothered me and I wanted answers. And one of the things, and this is actually a pretty embarrassing story, one of the things that I felt like I had really no control over is my chattiness. Like so many folks with ADHD, I have the gift of the gap. And so that has been a problem for me um, in dating post-divorce uh, because any level of nervousness is going to turn that up. And so last year I was seeing a guy who was a wonderful, wonderful man, but he needed a lot of quiet. And as you can imagine, things did not end well there. So what I realized is that my chattiness felt almost compulsive to me and I didn't understand it. And when you're dating someone and you kind of feel rejected and I have RSD, I mean, it's just my rejection fear is huge. I couldn't understand why I just couldn't shut up. So dark, dark moment in my life is when you're sitting in front of a computer and you're Googling things like, why can't I stop talking? Why do I talk all the time? Why am I so <laughs> chatty? And I'll tell you, Google is rude. Google is rude. Every single like result came back. Have you considered that you have ADHD? And I'm like, no, no. And so I started reading articles about ADHD and especially, you know, chattiness. And I found like an online assessment, I think through Attitude Magazine. And like the highest score you could get was a 74. And uh, I nailed it on that test. I just nailed it. I got up like 56 out of 74. And I cried twice during the online assessment. I'm like, this is just overwhelming. Everything rang true. Right? I, I bet it's the Sari Solden one. It's the one that's just exactly for women, right? Specifically yes. for women? Yes. Yeah. I had a similar experience because I had originally done one that was just generically for adults, and it was much more questions from the DSM, which I sort of related to. Like, I was sort of like, yeah, I guess, like... But there were more questions about physical hyperactivity, like, can you not sit still? Do you feel run for it by a motor? And all of these questions that I was like, I don't know. Like, I didn't really know what was normal and what wasn't. I didn't relate to it. I scored kind of half and half. Um, and then I took the one specifically for women. And that's where I was. Yeah, like it was just it just felt like my heart fell in my stomach where I was like realizing all of these issues, you know, because it was asking about being overwhelmed in grocery stores and and traffic and losing things. And it was just like, it just felt like my whole life was flashing before my eyes. Oh, absolutely. There was a question. I think one of them was, uh, has anybody ever called you a space cadet? And like, oh, the just the trauma explosion. I'm like, I'm just going to go sit on the floor of my closet in the fetal position and cry for like 20 minutes and come back to this because I just can't right now. And so I, I did, you know, some of the stuff that most folks do. And I started researching the actual DSM. And it was important to me to find the right person to talk to about this. And I found a female psychiatrist that specialized in ADHD. And so I made an appointment with her. And I showed up and I don't know whether it was that I disclosed to her that I almost made a complete slide deck for all of the reasons why I had ADHD that she's like, Oh, wow. So I told I, I laid out all of the reasons starting I showed up, Katie, I'm not kidding you. I went and dug out all of my report cards from grade school. And like, just I'm like, here is how it grew 
from fourth grade into seventh grade. Like, here it is right in front of me. And so she was very, very kind and she was amazing and gentle. And um, she confirmed um, what I had suspected and then started talking to me about, um, you know, treatment and medication and what happens now. Wow. Uh, that's amazing. And this is in Arizona? Yes. Right? The psychiatrist? That's great because it's not a story you hear very often that, you know, um, you can get see somebody so quickly and also have them really... Uh, validate you so quickly. That was my experience. I was with my GP, um, but it was the same thing where I had like, I printed out all of these self-tests and checklists. And I, I was so worried that I was going to lose what I wanted to say and and not be able to kind of quote unquote prove that I had this. And I just felt like it was so important to me to get this diagnosis that I was like fumbling with all of these sheets and papers. And I came in there with all of this and she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't <laughs> like calm down. Uh, I <laughs> Don't worry. Uh, you have this, but I, I had to, I made her like say it out loud to me. I was like, you have to say out loud very clearly, you have combined type ADHD. Otherwise I'm always going to worry that I somehow misconstrued this. And I, you know, it's funny. I've even heard people talk about like a soft diagnosis that they got from their doctor, because it feels like if you didn't take the hour, you know, the four hour diagnostic testing that it's, and I was like, I'd never heard that term before. I was like a soft diagnosis. What is that? What I got, you know, and immediately was like, wait a minute, there's, there's, there's fake, like not fake, but it just felt like there's like degrees of diagnosis. Right. She did. My doctor was going to do all of the, like the computer testing, all of that stuff. And when I presented my case, and I mean, I had like data, like it was, and I've actually turned it into a tool for other folks who are wondering if they have ADHD, where it's like a, a, a symptom inventory based on the DSM-5, that's like a fillable PDF. I mean, I had I had everything right there. And she's like, no, I think we're good. But it was, I, I, I'm combined type as well. And I think that it was really important for me to be able to speak on my behalf because I was misdiagnosed with anxiety and depression 15 years ago. Like there were, I could tell when there were certain turning points in my life when there were major changes that were happening for me and I I did not feel right. And I was not successful at work, which was causing a lot of issues. And so what I tell people that um, also have the same story of, you know, being misdiagnosed with anxiety and depression is that I don't know that I ever suffered from anxiety and depression. I think that the symptoms of my ADHD and how they manifested in my life made me anxious and depressed. So it was everything, all of the feedback that I heard from people about what I did or how I behaved because I have ADHD that was not diagnosed, that was not understood by me or anybody else, turned into such anxiety and depression and a massive amount of masking. Like I was, I was a master at masking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like I said this on the podcast too, where it's like, if a therapist or a psychiatrist is not interested in looking underneath anxiety and depression as to what is really at the root, then you need to get a second opinion. Because that's, I think many of us, I was certainly diagnosed with anxiety and depression long before ADHD. And I, th I think you hit the nail on the head. It's really that feeling of brokenness that so many of us had um, leading into adulthood and the masking and feeling like we're just holding it all together that leads to the depression and the anxiety. Yeah. Once I got my diagnosis and I realized that there was 
an explanation for some of my behaviors, for some of the things that I do, the anxiety and depression that I felt like I was feeling has decreased exponentially. Also, I mean, I I am unmasked and I am really walking into who I am and letting myself be that person that I don't get anxious about how the world's going to see me as much anymore because I feel like I've aligned myself with who I really am and I've given myself permission to be that person. So I'm far less anxious and I'm more satisfied with how I'm living my life, which increases the joy and happiness in my life and, and dials down the depression. It's been it's been so beautiful to go through this transition. And I know I'm just starting, which is mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's so that's so well said. So you had a major life change. This was prior to your diagnosis, correct? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. And it is I you know, it's funny, because uh, I, I write a lot about women in midlife crisis. And I always say I never had a crisis. I was never in crisis mode. It was more of an awakening. But I had the most beautiful and spectacular midlife awakening anybody could ever ask for. It's like, I I mean, and and I things got weird. I mean, I saved up money for months and months and I bought a pop-up camper and I go camping by myself. And I realized that nothing in my life was lining up how I wanted it to. And so I started to put together a like an 18 month plan to sort of renovate my life. Um, And I was not successful in my career. Now, when I look back, I know that so much of my dissatisfaction with my career stems also from my ADHD. Uh, And I realized that I needed to do something different. And I was on the verge of being an empty nester. Um, I am divorced. I am accountable to no one but myself. So yeah, I um, I quit my 22-year career to pursue more creative endeavors. Um, I sold the house I'd been living in for 15 years. I live now in downtown Phoenix in 775 square feet. I work for myself. Um, my daughter has headed off to college. She's in Washington State. My life looks nothing like it did a year ago, and it will be a year ago tomorrow. That is my year anniversary of walking out of my my corporate life. Oh my goodness. So what was the catalyst if it wasn't the ADHD diagnosis? Um it was I, I was exhausted and I was burned out. And what I realized is that interestingly, uh and I've no I've no problem saying this, I hit a glass ceiling in my career. And there were a lot of words written on that glass ceiling. Um, What I didn't realize one of the words was, was ADHD. And I was basically an executive with no executive function. So the amount of dissatisfaction and unhappiness and stress that I had, um, my work environment, Katie, oh my gosh, I worked in a large room that was echoey, that I had walk-ins all the time, and I faced a pool with dozens of people. I was losing my mind. And so I realized that it was, I had gone 11 years without a single increase in pay because my executive function was not allowing me to move to the next level in my career. And all of the things, everything written on every single employee does not use time well, um, doesn't meet deadlines, outstanding job knowledge, but has a hard time implementing things, big ideas everything that goes back to the ADHD. 
And I realized I was never going to make forward momentum and it was always going to be working against the tide. And I just couldn't do it anymore. So the biggest catalyst was me examining my life and sort of the spark of this midlife awakening to say, what is really going to make me happy? Because this is not making me happy. And I needed freedom and I wanted to be able to live a life that I wanted, not that was handed to me. Because like so many women in midlife, we stop for a second, we take a breath and we look around at everything that we've been living. And it's not necessarily something that we chose. It's something that was sort of chosen for us by society that we said, oh, yeah, this, this sounds fine. And it's fine until it's not. It works until it doesn't. It's whole until it cracks. And I had to figure out how all of those pieces came together to build myself a life that was going to be joyful. And, oh, it's been so fun. I have often have felt like this diagnosis has felt like a phoenix, where uh, many of us come to a very, very low point, And this diagnosis just is like a rebirth. It's like a reawakening. And and reframing so many of those things that we saw as character flaws and as negative um, elements to who we were and now saying like, well, you know, I'm, I can't do everything, but look at all the amazing things I am, am doing in my life. Uh, so now you're so you've been going and uh, you're now writing full time. I am writing and I am coaching. So what I love is exactly what you just talked about. And there is such an amazing intersection between what is going on that I mentioned previously about women in midlife, where women are starting to realize, oh my gosh, there is there is something more. And and Betty Friedan figured this out back in like 1963 when she wrote The Feminine Mystique, where she said that there's this problem that has no name that women go through where they hit a point in their life where they literally wake up and say, oh my God, is this it? Is this all? I thought I was supposed to be happy. And then you add the ADHD to that. So what I see is that this sort of identity searching makes people question, who am I and what am I doing? And often that leads to giving ourselves permission to explore what's happening in our lives where we do the evaluation that leads us to say, oh my gosh, well, maybe there is something bigger. Maybe, maybe, and that's where the ADHD diagnosis comes in. And at the same time, we're perimenopausal. And so the perimenopausal, all the hormones dials up the ADHD. So there's so much that midlife women are going through. So what I love to do, I write about it. I, um, I have a Substack newsletter called Late to My Own Party. And through there, I kind of process what I learn about myself, what I'm knowing about myself so that other people can see it and say, yeah, that's me. I like to share resources for folks like myself. But what I love to do is take these late diagnosis women who are staring at the space post-diagnosis and saying, well, now what? Now what do I do? And work with them to answer that question so that they can start to figure out what is life without my mask look like? What actually brings me joy? What have I been doing in my life because my masking and my people pleasing or any other behaviors told me to do that and make beautiful and radical changes? And also 
I mean, I'll tell you, I joke around that I have been adult presenting my whole life. Like I have tricked people into thinking that I am an adult really, really well. Now I feel like I'm toddler proofing my life, except for I'm the toddler. So I have been creating hacks and workarounds and everything to try and manage my ADHD and they're working beautifully. And so I love to work with um, folks also on how they can incorporate some creative ways to manage themselves in their lives and and to grow. So um, I continue to write about women in midlife and that intersection. I love being a spokesperson for a group of people who really feel like they are starting to be silenced more and more, which is, you know, sort of women in midlife. It's it's incredible to be able to to stand with people in that space. Right. I mean, that's a question I always ask, which is, you know, is this ADHD or am I just at a point in my life where I'm sick and tired of taking it and I'm just an angry feminist living in this country right now? And, you know, like, I think there is something about a perimenopausal diagnosis where there is like a lot of that, like, I'm just not, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not playing by other people's rules anymore. And I often will, you know, if I, if I'm working with women who get this diagnosis because they were like feeling like they couldn't keep holding all the plates and all the balls and they're treading water and they're, they can't manage anymore. And so they sort of feel like this diagnosis is, is a way for them to figure out how to keep treading water and, and managing all the balls and all the plates and everything else. And they come to me and they're sort of like, how can you help me get back to the person I was? And often I'm like, well, let's not do it do you really want that? Like, is is that really what you wanted to do? Or is there a way that we can really kind of let go of some things and say no and have some boundaries and really figure out like, why had we gotten to the point where we were treading water and spinning all these plates to begin with? And so I think there is something about that like 40 plus diagnosis where many of us are just like, no, that's not the way I want to live my life anymore. Yeah, I think that so much of it is just getting to the end where we run out of the energy to mask. Mm-hmm. We're just tired. I mean, we've been doing it for so, 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 so long, and it's it's beautiful. And I, um, I actually had something absolutely incredible happen to me post-diagnosis, which is that I met my boyfriend exactly one week after I got my diagnosis. And so I have never dated, you know, unmasked. I have never dated fully acknowledging and honoring myself in the space that I am and allowing other people to see that. And he only knows unmasked, diagnosed, medicated me. And so it is the most beautiful experience to be able to have somebody in my life that is so supportive of me and my growth and so encouraging of me exploring what my authentic self looks like and encourages me to stay true to that no matter what. It is like I wasn't expecting that to happen. And I feel like that relationship is such a beautiful reward and validation of it is okay to be me. And and I will be appreciated and honored as I am. And And that has been, that was a gift. That was an absolute gift. That man is a gift. Oh, that's so beautiful. Now, that reminds me, you, your ex-husband has ADHD, right? Did he Was he diagnosed when you were together? No, he was diagnosed. He was a late diagnosis as well. He was diagnosed in his 30s. And my daughter is actually has her appointment next month to get diagnosed as well. And she's doing the whole, 
gamut of um, neurological testing because we're pretty sure that she is um, like what we call neurospicy as well. So my ex-husband was diagnosed late in life, um, and I was very much aware of it. He was very open about it with me. And what's interesting is I feel like I spent so much of our time managing his ADHD. I had to do all of that executive function stuff that was outside of my comfort zone. I was just a machine, right? Like I had everything. I paid all of the bills every as best as I possibly could. I would say I nailed it 85% of the time. The 15% that I missed was an epic failure. But it wasn't, interestingly, it was after we got divorced that I just had to manage me that I started to feel like I couldn't manage me. Like, it's just me. I'm just accountable to me. Why do I feel like I'm not doing a good job of adulting? I, I, I managed everything for years and now I feel like I'm struggling. What happened? Because like nobody, nobody thought for one minute that I had ADHD. Mm-hmm. But I did some of the same things he did. Well, that's interesting too, because you know sometimes as moms we often fall into that trap, right? Where it's so easy to do things for our kids. In fact, a lot of women come to a diagnosis after their kids are diagnosed, and they're like, "Okay, I'm going to go into hyper focus research to help my kid." But we don't really think about helping ourselves. And, you know, I used to like whenever my kids wouldn't be home for dinner and if everybody was gone and it was just me for dinner, my dinner always consisted of a bottle of wine and a bag of popcorn. (laughs) Like I just like I never knew how to take care of myself. But I always thought it was like, well, I'm just exhausted because I'm always taking care of my kids. So it was like um, but I think there is something there in terms of like that's what the masking is, right? Like when there's nobody there with any sort of level of expectation, we fall apart. And there is nothing left for ourselves. Bingo. And there's no accountability because there's no one else that sees it. You know, living by myself, living alone for the last year, it doesn't matter if I have a glass of wine and a bag of popcorn for dinner, which interestingly, I I fully did on Tuesday. No shame. Absolutely did. And did it take two days to throw the rest of the bag of popcorn away? Sure it did. No problem. I'm working. (laughs) Um, But it is when there's that lack of accountability to where no one's going to know if I, you know, I wear my soft pants like every single day this week while at work. Nobody's going to know if I don't shower until four o'clock in the afternoon. Like when when we don't have that accountability, it's really easy for us to sort of take our ADHD symptoms and just kind of understand them as well. That's just kind of the way it is. And that's like, that's what I love about like the coaching side of it is, is being an accountability person for somebody else where it's like, sometimes we just need someone to check in with us and, and make sure that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. So without that, I felt like I was just spinning my wheels. Yeah. Well, I think it's like a combination of accountability, but then also some reframing, like I, you know, when it comes to soft pants, uh, which I almost, I exist entirely in soft pants now, because I was like, you know what, instead of deciding that soft pants are a woman who's given up on herself, I'm a woman who prioritizes comfort. And And that's, and I was like, there you go. I'm happy with that. And now I, I have no shame about it. But it's, you know, it's like, it's really about like, how can we, how can we look at this from another angle that is not filled with shame. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And the ADHD shame, it's like it it is we lived with it our whole lives. I mean, the the amount of shame that I felt 
around everything that I did and who I was, like walking away from that and and leaving that behind is a tough road to walk down, but it's rewarding and, and necessary. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. And rewarding. I mean, just talking about like your your partnership with your boyfriend, like just to be able to have to live authentically from day one is such an incredible opportunity, right? And not a lot, like some, I think I've met women who have incredibly supportive partners who have been along for the ride, my husband included. But I also have met women whose partners are like, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, you're just looking for excuses. Uh, If you really loved me, you would clean the house, like all of these ways in which they are not met with partners who are willing to pivot (laughs) in the way that they are pivoting. Right. This episode is brought to you by Loop Earplugs. Loop Earplugs are my ultimate companion to a calmer and more focused life. If you're also an adult with ADHD, autism, or sensory issues, rest assured Loop Earplugs are designed with us in mind. Whether you're at your favorite coffee shop or in your office cubicle or simply at home with your kids, with their advanced noise reduction technology, Loop Earplugs gently lower the volume without blocking out the world completely. They're made from soft, hypoallergenic materials that are comfortable for extended wear. They fit snugly in your ears, ensuring you can wear them discreetly throughout the day. Plus, they come with a sleek carrying case, making them convenient to take with you wherever you go. Now that I'm in grad school, I love to use the Engage Plus loops whenever I'm walking around campus. They're specifically designed to reduce the level of sound entering my ear without completely blocking out all noise. My teenager loves her quiet loops for studying, and my son loves his Engage Kids loops for short intervals like riding the school bus or taking tests at school. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get 10% off your order when you visit loopearplugs.com slash womenADHD. That's loopearplugs.com slash womenADHD, and you can find that link in the episode show notes. Your life, your volume. So I want to backtrack a little bit because, you know, you had talked about your report cards and um, and the executive without executive function, which I think is a good memoir title. Uh, so what are some of the things looking back where you were like, oh, the signs were, were there all along? One of the things that really stands out is um, this has been in just about every employee review, year in review I've had in the history of ever. I am huge at ideas. I, I can come up with these big, huge ideas. Um, I am a planner. I am the world's worst implementer. So if I could come up with a strategic plan for the entire organization, if you ask me to do any part of that strategic plan, uh, no, thank you. Like, I'm not going to do that. But it was, I wish I had all of my, um, I wish I'd kept all of my employee reviews before I left my job because it, what a tale that would tell. Because it is, it's the, um, whether it's deadlines, like why do I have such mental blocks? And I just thought I was like lazy and a procrastinator. One of the other things that I realized when I started trying to understand my ADHD was that it's not that I can't pay attention to things. It's that I pay attention to everything. And like, there's things that I've come to understand about myself. Um, one of the things that I've just realized, um, and I'm working on like a, a, like a, a downloadable for object permanence maintenance. Like you come to my apartment and my plants look fantastic unless they're hanging from the ceiling. Because if they're above eye level, they're dead. I don't see them out of sight, out of mind. They just don't exist anymore. So there were so many different things that I um that I realized that I do because oh hobby hopping 
I did not realize that hobby hopping was a thing. I started making jewelry as a hobby like 10 years ago, over 10 years ago, and I enjoyed it. It was just going to be for fun. But oh, then like a normal person would be like, oh, I made a bracelet. It's cute. No, 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 no. I have pegboards and I started selling them on Etsy and I got like national coverage for them. And then I had to like do things like actually like send them to people who wanted to buy them. And that was horrible. I didn't want to do that. I just wanted to make things. And then magically people sent me money and I didn't have to do anything. But I have tried every single hobby I you could possibly imagine. If I'm watching TV, I have to be doing something with my hands. I have to be knitting or I do needlepoint or whatever it is. That's my fidget spinner. Do you have subtitles? That was a that surprised me that the subtitles thing was was an ADHD thing because I've always had to have subtitles on. You know what? I don't have the subtitles on. My daughter does that and she said that it helped her. And then so I started doing it and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. There's something there. Like, this is crazy. Like, I can't read a, I can't do a Kindle book. I have to hold an actual book and I have to read a book with a highlighter. Like, if I, I have, I have a highlighter in every single room and at least two in my purse at all times. I don't know why I I need to have one at all times, but that's the only way I can read. Oh, that's interesting. I always used to use a, a a ruler when I was younger. I would do the ruler like line by line, which I had no idea that was actually a common dyslexia coping strategy. Um, is your daughter going to, is she, she'll be tested for all of the dyslexia, dyspraxia, all of those too? Yes, everything. All of them. Cause she's just like, something's wrong. Like when I got my, when I got my diagnosis, the first person that I called was her because she is so much like me and she does all the same things. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I never took you seriously when you said you thought you had ADHD and I think you have ADHD and you need to go get tested. And then I called her dad also crying. I called my first husband crying. I'm like, I'm so sorry that you've had to co-parent for the last 16 years with somebody who can't do something like making a doctor's appointment for a child. And like, and he was incredible. And he's like, Vanessa, listen, he's like, you did all of the emotional heavy lifting in raising this human. I did all of the tactical work. And we made it work. And I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> But I did. I like. I went on this weird tour of like apologizing to people because I didn't know I had ADHD. Like it was weird. It was like it was a weird twelve-step program that doesn't exist. You know, <laughs> it was like I need to work through a program. I don't know what to do with myself. Right. Well, it's funny. I, I definitely felt that way in terms of my marriage because there were so many things as a parent I felt like I was a terrible mom for because my husband could do it and I couldn't. So, like one of the things I've talked about in the past on the podcast is like my husband was really good at sitting down and playing with the kids, whether it was just like playing Legos or like sitting and you know playing dolls or whatever it was. But he was like very good at being present and in the moment with the kids, and I had no patience for. That. I was always like, get us out of here. We need to leave the house. So I was always the one who was dragging them to the grocery store, dragging them to Target or going to the zoo or doing all these things. And like, I always felt like I was a terrible mother because I wasn't like focusing in on them 100% 24 seven. And so now I was, but 
you know, now I'm like, but I was the one who took them places and we always went on adventures and maybe it was just to the grocery store, but they were always thrilled to be doing all these things. And so when I could sort of see it from his point of view, where he was like, no, I was always grateful that you were the person who did those things because I'd never liked to do those. And I was the one who could sit still and be at home. And I was like, oh, like, why do we focus on the things we can't do as opposed to all the things that we were great at? Oh, 100%. Another thing that I didn't realize was part of ADHD, which was like just reading the same paragraph over and over and over again and losing your spot and losing your train of thought and just like always having to come back and taking forever to read. So I like your daughter, probably like you, like I always grew up thinking I had some sort of learning disorder, but it was never diagnosed. And then and so it was almost like, why didn't anybody ever help me like <laughs> like there was that grief part of the of the 12 step process which was like how did i go this long struggling like this and nobody said anything nobody did anything i never knew to ask for help like there's so much of that feeling of like how did this get this far how did it get this like how did nobody the signs were clearly there how did nobody do anything Yes, I actually just wrote an essay for late to my own party about applying the five stages of grief to my ADHD um, and how I kind of have worked through that. Now, I skipped first grade. I mean, I was on point. I read early. I was on point. Everything was going swimmingly until about fourth grade. And that's when I started to um, not turn in my homework, lose my homework, um, I rem- in fifth grade, I like I would forget to bring books home that I needed to do my homework. I would do my homework, but then I would leave it at home. And then I didn't know what to do. I would like lie to my teachers about like what happened to my homework because I was embarrassed because like, how do you just explain? I just forgot it. And it got worse as I got into middle school and high school. And it would drive my parents insane because they're like, why did you not do your homework? And I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know. And they tried everything with organizers and they tried reward charts. And I feel like, first of all, I think that every single adult that's diagnosed with ADHD immediately should be handed a sticker chart. (laughs) We get a do-over on that one because we were the kids in like fifth grade who never got to get anything from the treasure box because we never earned our stickers because how? How could we? We can't. But I had a very, very high IQ which drove everybody insane. Like people couldn't figure out, like I graduated from high school with a 2.12 GPA. I couldn't even get into a state school. I had to go to community college for a year and hope to do well enough to, to get into college as a transfer student. Like nobody could figure out what was wrong with me. And I, I talked to school psychologists. I mean, my parents, bless their hearts, like did everything that they could to try and figure out. They tried to motivate me. Nothing worked. Nobody thought well, maybe there's something going on here. But, you know, then again, we know that the first study that focused exclusively on ADHD in girls wasn't done until 2003. I was 29. I was 29 before somebody had the thought in their head to say, like, let's focus on just girls and see what happens. So as folks that are like the Gen Xers, I think like that's a big reason why there's so many Gen X women that are finally saying, what's going on, but that I was labeled uh, high ability, low achieving, which is a horrible thing to call somebody. It's like, you have the ability to do it. You just can't do it. Oh my goodness. And that's, that's the hard part. 
You're explaining my childhood too. It was, and, and, you know, it was because I was, I was the same. I was put into the gifted program in third grade and was always expecting to get kicked out because there was always like, that's when the real criticisms started on my report card, which was like, she's chatty. She, I would always get separated from the group and my desk would always get moved next to my teacher's desk, or I would get sent out into the hall, but then I would miss what we were talking about. So I would fall behind. And, and I had that same it was just, it was very emotional going back and looking at my report cards too. I, I cried so much reading my report cards because I could see this little girl, like when I started out in first and second grade, the comments were like, she's a born leader. She's great. She's so enthusiastic. And I was a quick to read. And I was always like getting up in front of the class. And then by third grade in the gifted program, it started, all of it started happening where it's like, she's has more potential. She's not, you know, she's not trying hard enough. And then I would stop doing my homework or by the time I got to high school, I was just skipping class all the time. And so I could see this progression of this little girl who was like so misunderstood and, and she just like gave up on herself and stopped trying. And, and then by high school, it, I had the same. I like had, you know, was flunking out and skipping class and barely graduated by the skin of my teeth. And I remember my mother once saying to me when I wasn't, you know, when I wasn't doing assignments, and I would get these pity passes because in the gifted program, they don't fail you. So I would get like a D minus in these classes, even though I wouldn't show up at all. Like I had, you know, would never show up for class. And she said, you're worried that if you were to try, you would fail. So it's easier for you to not try. And I remember and I and I was like, huh, that's funny because I'm already failing. Like it never made sense to me when she would say that because I'm like, I don't know, because it feels like no matter what I do, I'm failing. But that onus was put on me, even though it felt like, I don't think she was punishing me or, or angry or anything. I think she was trying to figure out what was wrong with me too. But it was like this feeling of like, if you just applied yourself, you would do really well. And me feeling like we were so past the point of applying myself, I didn't know how and had no, I didn't know, had the words to say, I don't know how to apply myself. And I feel like that's something so many of us experienced, which was like, you're telling me to try harder, but nobody's showing me how to try harder. Right. One of the things I heard recently, and I think it's, um, I think it was a Dr. Barkley who does great work on um, studying ADHD, that when he explained this, it, it was the big light bulb moment was that people with ADHD, it's not a matter, it's not an intelligence issue. It's not a learning disability issue. Like we know what to do. So it, we don't lack knowledge. It's not that we don't know what to do. We don't know how to do what we know. And that mind shift blew me away because that's exactly it. It's not that I, I am a very smart, bright, capable woman, but I can't figure out how to do so many of the different things. And, and it goes back to, you know, with my career and, and the, I, you have so much potential. And I just, I would like for us to stop telling people that they have so much potential because what the message really is, is that we're, we are failing, that we're not good enough. When, when you tell somebody that they have so much potential to be great, what you're really telling them is you're not great. Like I, I remember when I was a kid, I grew up a very homely looking child very, very unattractive child. And I remember being like eight, nine years old and people would tell me, you know, you're going to be so pretty someday. And like, I know that that was meant to make me feel like good to give me like some hope, but what they're just telling like little, like nine-year-old Vanessa is like reaffirming, like you're unattractive right now. They're like telling me I'm ugly now. 
by, you know, instead of like someday and every day I would get up and I would go and I'd look in the mirror and I would still be homely and be like, well, I guess today is not someday. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm not a fan of telling people they have pot- potential. I just think that needs to go away. That needs to go to a dark, far corner and live there by itself. <laughs> you're here. It's interesting that you're writing a piece about the stages of grief, because I've written something similar about the stages of an ADHD diagnosis and how, you know, we go from that denial to curiosity to, oh, my God, this explains everything. And then the grief. And I kind of liken it to a game of shoots and ladders where we're like, you know, you're climbing up the ladder and we've got all this grit and we're like, oh, this is amazing. I feel like a phoenix. And then something happens where you're just like, oh, no, I'm still a piece of shit. And then you go down the, <laughs> you go down the slide. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's not like you get to the end and all of a sudden the diagnosis, you're like, oh, my God, my life is great and everything's wonderful. Um, but one of the final stages in in the um, stages of a diagnosis for me is advocacy, right? And like making sure so many of us become just like full-time advocates because I have my theories. I want to hear your theory. What is it? Why do you think so many of us turn to advocacy work? I think because we have been quiet and we've been silenced for so long because we have, and especially, and again, I I will carry the flag for the late diagnosed woman all day, every day, and twice on Sunday, because there is a great silencing that has happened to all of these women where they have been uh, denied some sort of truth that they've felt inside. They have been overlooked in diagnosis. They've not been taken seriously. The number of women that I talk to that have tried to seek a diagnosis and have been told things like, you don't need it. This was this one killed me. You don't need a diagnosis. It doesn't matter. You're just a stay at home mom. Ooh. And I'm like, is your doctor like an old white dude? Because that that just reeks of old white dude. And so there is so much that we need to do and so much further we need to go down the road of really researching the female experience with ADHD to understand that and to for doctors to to make sure that they are current on what the research says and to give this some serious time. Um, It's the same thing with the uh, shortage of the ADHD medication. One of the things that I do, one of the things I was not expecting was that I was going to find my people in my community and my voice on TikTok. (laughs) I did not have that in my bingo card at all. Shocked. But interestingly, um, TikTok is a hotbed of uh, middle-aged women with short attention spans scrolling. We're like moths to a flame with that app. Absolutely. Um, And so one of the things that I use that platform for and I use Late to My Own Party for is things like um, I put together links and a resource for how people can contact their members of Congress to ask them to really encourage the DEA to put more focus on what is happening with this shortage. And even like, I do a lot of political advocacy work in general. So here's a blurb that cut and paste this into the email that you're sending to your members of Congress, because you have to make it simple for folks with ADHD and step by step by step and just do this right now and walk them through it or else they're not going to do it. But things like that are very important because the stigma attached to ADHD as a disorder that affects hyperactive little boys we need to change that. And in order to change that, we need to be having the dialogue. And so I want to blow open the space for that dialogue. 
Yeah. You know, it's funny. It just reminded me of the the two criticisms around medication, which is you're just drug seeking. You're looking for an excuse to, you know, get shit done with drugs. And then the other side, which is you don't have ADHD. You're just lazy and looking for an excuse to not get shit done. And it's like, okay, which one do you want? Do you want the shit done or do you not want the shit done? <laughs> right. Right. Like these are people who are looking to help manage their life and their executive dysfunction. And it's like, you get it from all angles with ADHD. It just, it amazes me, the criticisms. And it's, for me, in my opinion, it's misogyny. That's all it comes down to. Right. Well, and I'll tell you that to that end, just very quickly, I have also written about the fact that um, a patriarchal society benefits from women not being diagnosed and not being medicated. Right. Um, and the benefit to a patriarchal society um, is that in order to cope and manage with our ADHD that's undiagnosed, we have a tendency to hyper-focus, we have a tendency to become people-pleasers, and we have a tendency to do more than we should, that 2.6 times the amount of labor in a marriage, women with ADHD probably dial that up even more because we're we're trying to... Um, we're trying to give the illusion that we're okay when we're not. And damned if that doesn't benefit men mm-hmm. for us to be people pleasers and to try and be overachievers and to overcommit ourselves to doing everything. That's how you get the goddamn bake sale done. <laughs> right. As as an ex-PTA president, I could not agree more. 100%. 100%. Because the pressure to be accepted is going to be the, the us that is going to agree to be the Girl Scout leader when we have no business or ability to lead the Girl Scouts <laughs> a- at all. Ever. <laughs> well, we can, It's but our entire rest of our life falls apart in the background. That's what I found with me. Yep. Um, yep. So, okay. So now that's amazing that you put those together for the legislature, because I think scripts like that can be so incredibly helpful. Um, and because, you know, often we get overwhelmed at the blank slate of an email or a, a piece of paper. So, Okay. And so that's not all. I mean, you also have a lot of downloadables and worksheets and stickers. Let's talk about all the amazing things that you're doing with Late to My Own Party and and your website and coaching. Yeah, it's really fun. One of the things that I realized um, is that in trying to figure out the the hacks for my life, um, there are all kinds of things that I know now that I understand how my brain works, that I can optimize it using things like downloadables. So one of the things that I just created that is one of my favorite downloadables that people can get is like a dopamine inventory. Because one of the the pitfalls that folks with ADHD tend to fall into is that we are dopamine seekers. So we will do things like um, we will impulsively spend, we will shop, you know, add to cart, we'll go to the kitchen and get the ice cream because we need something that's going to just make us happy. We're going to eat the cookies and get the temporary dopamine. We do so many little things that give us just that little rush of dopamine, but we can't maintain it. So I put together like this dopamine inventory that's got four different quadrants, whether it's work, home, relationships, hobbies, and interests, where you take a moment to think about all of the areas in your life where dopamine actually exists. So if you're home and you're feeling this urge for dopamine, um, my dog is sitting next to me. She's amazing. Can you go play with your dog? Um, can you um, water your plants at work? If you need dopamine at work, instead of opening up a um, a browser window on your computer at work and and you know scrolling through something when you really shouldn't be doing, which decreases your productivity, 
can you get up and, you know, do a quick walk around the office, just like down the hallway, just to get yourself moving? Can you go refill your water bottle um, so that you're hydrating? Um, it, because I was a habitual planner purchaser and they never worked at all because like you give me a planner with 20 lines on it. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to write 20 things and I can do like four. That's it. And so every day I feel like a failure because I didn't get 20 things done. So I create daily trackers for folks and planners where it, guess what? It has five things. That's it. And I encourage people to start their daily to-do list by adding something that they've already done and then crossing it off. It's ridiculous, but it's like, I'm going to make coffee today. Oh, check, done. Got it. Or whether it's um, habit trackers so that we can create positive habits over a three-week period of time. Um, it just downloadables and they come with coaching sheets too. So it's, this is how you create a positive routine and how you stick with it. And then the downloadable is there and it's a, like a fillable PDF and they're colorful and they're fun and they're made so that our brains don't get overwhelmed with, oh my gosh, but it's got the instructions bullet pointed. This is how you do it. And it's so much fun. They are really beautifully designed. Uh, as are the stickers. Uh, really, really great. The stickers are so fun. <laughs> the stickers are so fun. And like one of them is, um, this is one of my favorites. It's literally on my, my floor, but it's little messages like. Never too much. Never too much. Always nice. enough. Because haven't we heard that? And it's just, it's, and people get them and you stick them everywhere. And I'm like, let these be a warning sign for everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite ones, uh, the stickers that I had designed was says, um, ADHD, not just for boys anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just super fun. Or, you know, um, ADHD made me buy this, which is fun. Oh, uh, yeah, right. I, I always say that to my daughter. I'm like, don't blame me, blame the ADHD. I'm like, that should be a t-shirt. Um, but I had when I after I was diagnosed, I had made a bunch of t-shirts that were statements that directly pulled from my report cards. So it was like <gasps> ex statements from my report cards from teachers. And it was like, you know, easily distracted was one of them. And, uh, you know, does not is not perform up to her potential and all of them. And I just slapped them on a t-shirt. And I was like, yep, no more shame. Yeah, I would just like a hat that says not meeting standards. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, well, that's amazing. Okay, so I'll have a link to your website and your TikTok. And you also have a Facebook community too, right? I do. So one of the things that I did with um, Late to My Own Party is I wanted a space where people could meet privately and just kind of get to know each other and get to make friends and support. So if somebody has an issue, we do some um, educational calls, social events, things like that. It's a way for them to connect with each other um, that is not public facing so that they can talk freely. Um, so if somebody's having an issue with work or with a spouse or something like that, it's not, you know, conversation that's happening out there in social media. And it's just a very, very reasonable price of $5 a month to just access this private community. And I always tell people, I'm like, it is theirs. What they want to do with it, they can do with it. If they, if you have a task that you are working on and you need somebody to body double with you for three hours on Tuesday, post in the group, make an event. Everyone can create events in the group. They can create an event that says I'm body doubling on this day and other people can join them. There's so many different ways that folks can utilize this community in order to kind of grow their resource base and their connections 
and it's just I, I'm I'm giving them the opportunity to just be there and then uh, sharing resources. Once a month, I do a call, an educational call, um, based on some topic that is front of mind for them. So uh, last month we did navigating the workplace with ADHD. And I always tap other experts. So I brought in a wonderful um, ADHD business coach named Christina Proctor to come and talk to us about um, what we can do to advocate for ourselves in the workplace, things that we can do to optimize our workplace and things like that, because work is just one area where folks feel really, really stuck. Yeah, right. Or And I think your experience really explained it, right? Which is just feeling like you were good at some things, but there was just these other issues that felt like they were constantly being harped on and feeling like you couldn't advocate for yourself. So yeah, and it's just uh, they get everybody in the community gets twice a month, they get a specialized newsletter that just really kind of reinforces some of the resources available to them. Um, and just gives them some information in case they missed it in the private Facebook group, because people can't go over there um, and check it all the time. So even if people don't have Facebook or they can't get into it, they're still going to get the in case you missed it twice a month newsletter that's like, here's what we're doing. Here's what's going on. Here's how you can connect with each other. Here's how you can connect with me. It's just fun. It's, it's amazing. Great people. Awesome. I know building community, I think, is really how we finding each other is really how we manage our ADHD. It's, I, I feel like it's such an essential part of our treatment plan. Um, now, now, if you could rename ADHD to something else, would you call it something else? Oh, man, um, I, the word deficit needs to go. And I feel like it's more along the lines of like attention over processing disorder, because it is one of those things like I have to try to explain to people like, my boyfriend's sweet man, sweet, sweet man that he is, um, made a suggestion to me that that made me chuckle about how I will forget things when I leave the house. And he said, well, why don't you just do a quick scan of the room? And I'm like, "That no, that will never happen. Because if I look around my room, my living room, I'm going to find 18 things. It's not that I can't pay attention to, you know, to anything. It's I'm paying attention to everything. I'm taking in all of the stimulus and I'm trying to process 14 things at a time, all while I'm trying to find my phone, which I don't even realize I've already just, it's in my back pocket and I'm just wandering around like the house. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's why I think so many of us, so many of us like end up wiping up a spot of dirt in the kitchen. And then next thing you know, you're, you know, on your hands and knees with a toothbrush, <laughs> cleaning the grout. Yes. It's like, you start to see things over, you know, they just start to appear and you're like, have to do this. That that happened to me the other day with my car dash. My daughter like dripped some sticky iced tea on the dashboard. And I was like, Oh, I got to clean that up because it's really sticky. But I knew like, I was like, Oh, no, if I clean that up, I'm gonna have to wipe the whole dashboard because the dashboard has like a quarter inch of dust on it. And then that that's going to be too clean. So I'm going to have to clean my entire front of my car. <laughs> like I just knew I, I was powerless to that feeling of like, Oh, this is going to be a huge job. And then so you're at that fork in the road where you're like, either I turn it into a huge job, or I just ignore it and and walk away. Right. So my daily planner, actually, hilariously, my daily planner has a spot for 30 minutes of hyperfixation. 
Uh, right. Yeah. To schedule every day so that you can say, you can look at your, like, you can look at your Thursday and say, okay, I'm going to plan my 30 minutes of hyperfixation to be the car. And then it allows you to like disengage with the car because you know, you're going to do that. And then like, for some reason, like that, that 30 minutes of hyperfixation, like you look forward to it because we get to do that super awesome focus that we love because of that. I mean, the hyper focus gives us dopamine. Um, right. It's a weird hack, but it works, man. Oh, for sure. Um, I, I I call that parking it, where it's like rather than having it constantly, you know, flying around my head, wanting to be done, I have to. If I just give it a date and time, I will not think about it again until that that reminder comes up, and it's very helpful for me to kind of clear the decks. Um, awesome. Well, it's this is so fantastic, and I love all of the amazing things you're doing, and so um um like I, okay, so your your TikTok is Vanessa L. Tory. Uh, and that's your website too, is VanessaLtori.com, right? Uh, no, my, my website is just VanessaTori.com. Okay. All right. Well, I'll have links in the show notes for sure. Um, that's great. Well, that's, you're doing some fantastic things. Go check out Vanessa's stickers. They're wonderful. And you also have some art. What else do you have in the works for this year? You have some workshops? I do. I have actually, I have a workshop coming up this Saturday that I'm so excited about, which is getting your finances together. And of course, every workshop that I do has, you know, downloadables that like cheat sheets, whether it's, you know, going through your finances and auditing them, doing a a credit card audit, all of these different things. And it's got different um, just resources that go with it. And it's an hour long workshop that I walk people through all of these processes, because the hard part is just getting people to carve away the hour of their time in order to give something that they need to do attention And so one of the things I would love to do in the coming year is to take some of these resources and some of these workshops and make them um, available sort of on demand so that if somebody needs to do the financial checkup um, on their own time, whenever they have a moment, they can just go to the website, um, download the video, download the resources, download all of the information, and they could do sort of a self-study whenever they need to. But also... I would love to sort of expand the community to be more focused on doing some group coaching that is more of a deeper dive. So it is going to be a, you know, small group of people going through the same things where we can um, just kind of delve in together and work through everything together. Um, I just, I, I love the opportunity to help people to uh, make improvements. And with ADHD, the problem is not our ability to make the improvement. It's our ability to start. So getting people there and organized and on the way and, and to create their their path is so much fun. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing your story. And I, I felt it was a, a very, very relatable. I feel like we had a lot of similarities. So I'm sure there's going to be many people who will relate very much to your story. So thank you so much for sharing and for being vulnerable. And I hope you never have to Google, why do I chat so much ever again? <laughs> Nope, I am who I am. It's all good. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time, Katie. I love being here with you today. Awesome. And there you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. Also, you know, we ADHDers crave feedback, and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. If you're a fan of the podcast, please take a moment to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Audible. And if that feels like too much and I get it, then just take a few seconds right now to give me a five-star rating. 
or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this gift of neurodivergency. And they may still be struggling and don't even know why. And if you'd like to find out more about me and my one-on-one coaching for women with ADHD, head over to womenandadhd.com coaching. And you can always find that link in the show notes. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who discovered that she is not lazy or crazy or broken, but she has ADHD and she is now on the path to understanding her neurodiversity and finally using this gift to her advantage. Take care till then. Okay, before we get started with today's episode, have you heard the awesome news? Llama Life now has an iOS app so you can take it with you wherever you go. I have been using Llama Life consistently on my computer for a year now. A year. That's unprecedented. That's like a lifetime in ADHD terms. And now with the new iOS app, I'm able to seamlessly transition between my computer and my iPhone so that my favorite little productivity coach is with me whenever I need it. So what is so special about Llama Life? Well, for starters, it's not a fancy new calendar or planner or complicated productivity management system. It's a time boxing, single tasking program that easily integrates with your already existing organizational systems. If you're like me and you struggle with time blindness or maintaining focus throughout your day, then this is the app for you. I love Llama Life because it's simple, effective, and beautifully designed. And dare I say, it makes even the most mundane chore more fun and colorful. If you want to check out the iOS app for yourself, head to the App Store for a free trial and start enjoying that Llama Life for yourself. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.